Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are finishing up a series that we started a few weeks ago. And this series is called Love Wins, and this series is all about relationships. And, um, and, and one of our core values here at Summit is healthy relationships. And we endeavor, we work to love people sacrificially and resolve conflict biblically. That's what we want to do. That's our goal. And we feel like if we can love each other sacrificially, it means I'm going to put your needs above my needs, that I'm going to, I'm going to put your desires above mine whenever I can. And then when there is a problem, when there is a challenge, we're going to fix it in a biblical way. That's what we endeavor to do um, as a church and as individuals within this church. And that's what we hope that, that you will endeavor to do as well. And so that's really kind of what we've been talking through during this, se- this series is just relationships, marriages, friendships, dating, all that kind of stuff. And we'll talk about dating a little today. Um, but really what we want to look at today is, is singleness. And for some of you, you're like, I got that covered. I'm married. I'm good. Well, my hope is that we will be able to, to work through some things today that even if you're married, it's going to help you love single people better. And if you are single, it's going to help you see your station in life differently than you have before. Because I'll be perfectly honest with you, I don't, I'm not positive that I've, ever, that I've ever heard a message on singleness before. Um, and some of the things we're gonna be talking through were stolen uh, from a book called Outdated by Jonathan Pecluda. And I'll mention him a couple times in the message today. And I would encourage you, if you are single especially, uh, it would be good for you to pick up that book and, uh, and thumb through it, read it. It will help you, I am sure. Um, so as we jump into this, I wanna say, first of all, I think the church has done a bad job of approaching singleness because many times, whether it's uh, implied or inferred, we make single people feel like they are less than. Well, you would be better if you were married, or you would be more complete if you were married, or you would be more whole if you were married. Now, I've never heard a pastor say that explicitly, but I think I know enough single people to know that that's how many of them feel. Many of them feel like that that singleness is just the prelude to marriage. And sometimes that prelude takes longer than they feel like it should. But but I want you to hear this. Singleness is not a problem to solve. We're going to say this a couple times. So if you don't like it this time, you you might like it better next time. (laughs) Being married is not superior to being single. From a biblical perspective... Being married is not better than being single, but we think sometimes that it is. And for those of you that are dating, dating is not superior to being single either. And I know in the culture we live in today, that's not always popular, but we think singleness is a problem to solve, and it's not. In fact, what we see in scripture is that we will, if you're married, you're gonna be married for a while, but you're gonna spend eternity in heaven single. Did you know that? Matthew 22 actually says that when we get to heaven, we will be like the angels in that we have no relational attachment that way. Our only relational attachment, primary relational attachment will be to God. 
We are gonna be so consumed with worshiping God, we are not gonna have time. Now, when I was a kid and I would think about heaven, I'd think about the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the mansion. And it was like, well, but I'm gonna have my family in the mansion with me, right? Well, that's a limited view of what heaven really is. So what we see is we're gonna spend eternity single, so maybe we should value that a little higher than what we have in the past. Paul talks about singleness in the context of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, and he walks through uh, a portion of scripture where he talks about what it means to be single and the importance and the value of being single, and he does it right after he's just finished kind of talking about marriage. And so he does this in connection together, and what we see is that he really does emphasize this idea that, that being married is not better than being single, that they're just positions that we occupy in life. This is where we start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. He says this, Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I'll share that with you. So, This is what he says. He makes this reference to the question that was asked about the unmarried women. And he could be referring back to 1 Corinthians 7.1. In 7.1, he mentions a question. Um, But what we see in context of 1 Corinthians 7 is there is a belief that had cropped up in the Corinthian church that um, if you were married before you came to faith in Jesus, that you might need to vacate your marriage and, and abstain from sex in order to give yourself fully to God. So you basically had to, had to just end any uh, physical affection with your spouse because it would pull you away from your affection with Christ. Now, what we're gonna see is that is categorically false. And Paul says, no, no, let me explain this to you. Let me walk you through this. So I wanted you to understand that as we get into this because it can be a little bit confusing if you don't have that context. So he says in verse 26, Because of this present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. So what we see here is Paul walking this out with them. He's trying to help them understand um, what might be best for them. And he says in the previous passage, he says, hey, this isn't a word from God. This is wisdom. I think this wisdom is from the Lord, but this is, this is wisdom. This isn't thus saith the Lord. He, he makes that plain. And then he says, because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. So what he's referring to is the cultural issues the, the social issues, the political issues that plagued uh, the first century Rome and specifically Corinth. There were all kinds of issues and, and issues between ethnicities and races and political junk and all kinds of problems. And Paul says, because of this, remain as you are. Aren't you glad we don't have all those issues today? We don't have political issues and social issues and whew, thank goodness that's over and done. But Paul says, in your relationship with Christ, it is not imperative for you to end your marriage uh, in order to gain better footing with Christ or to know him more intimately. It's not important if you are unmarried to get married. It's not gonna give you better position in relationship to Christ. So, So just approach it this way. Whatever you were, 
with everything going on, just remain in that same place is what he says. But he also says, it's not a sin if you get married. It's, it's not the worst thing. It's, it's gonna be okay. But what he says is, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. Those who get married are, are gonna have troubles. You're gonna have some challenges is what he says. And, and if I could make it a little plainer, I think what Paul is saying is, marriage complicates life. Now, some of you are like, I'm not sure if I can amen or not because my wife is sitting right next to me, right? (laughs) Marriage complicates life. And Paul will unpack this idea as we walk through this passage. Um, It's interesting. When I was single before Kim and I got married, uh, I was single and I thought, man, I'm poor, but man, I love Jesus and I'm very mature in my faith. I'm pretty selfless if I'm gonna be honest. Like I felt that way. And then I got married and I realized, oh, no, 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 now I'm poor. (laughs) And I was not nearly as mature in my faith as I thought I was, right? Because then you get married and now you're sharing your life with someone. And, um, you know, I had a house that I would decorate before I got married. And then I got married and we were buying potpourri and lacy things. And (laughs) I had a room if I was lucky. So what happens? You're sanctified. You're, you're loving sacrificially, right? And so we thought we were poor. But man, we thought we were mature in our faith. We're sanctified. We love each other sacrificially. And then kids came along. And that's when we went, oh, no, no, no. Now we're poor. <laughs> and now we understand what it really means to love sacrificially. Like, now how does that happen? It happens because life is complicated and marriage makes it even more complicated. It's not bad, it's incredible, I'm grateful for my wife. But marriage complicates life. See, a lot of people get into marriage because they think it's gonna solve their problems, and it does not. So I'm I'm gonna say some pretty direct and frank things with you today, and, and this is one of them. If you're struggling with pornography, marriage is not gonna fix it. You're simply gonna be a married person that struggles with pornography. If you're dating, and you have a hard time being committed to one person when you're dating, when you get married, you're gonna have a hard time being committed to one person because you're gonna bring those problems into marriage. If you think marriage is gonna be a way for you to to settle down, now I'm gonna settle down, you're not gonna settle down. Whatever habits you form are probably gonna follow you into marriage because marriage complicates things. So let me help you with this. Ladies, if you're dating somebody right now, and, and he is a serial cheater. He's constantly coming back to you going, baby, I'm so sorry. It was, it was one time, I made a mistake. He's not gonna get better if you marry that dude. It's not. So stop, cut it off now. Guys, same thing. If she doesn't know how to treat you and honor you and love you well when you're dating, it's not gonna magically fix itself when you get married. Because marriage complicates life. It doesn't make it simpler and easier. This is what Paul's saying. He said, it's better for you to stay single if you can because marriage complicates life. Then he says in verse 29, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. He says, we don't have a lot of time. Jesus is gonna come back. He says, so from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or those who rejoice 
or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. It's interesting. When he's walking through this with us, he says, the, the time we have is very short. The return of Christ is sooner than you think it will be. He's talking about eternal things. And he says, in light of the return of Christ, we should not be focused on temporary things. So what are some temporary things that he mentions? He mentions marriage. He mentions a husband and wife. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Every relationship is seasonal. And he says, your, your marriage, as powerful as it is and as good a gift as it might be, it is still temporary. Do you know the other things he mentions as temporary? Your feelings and your emotions. And we live in a society that is plagued by our feelings and emotions. We, we are taught that whatever we feel is right. And if you feel it, you must be right on point. So if, if it's valid if you feel it, it's true if you feel it. So we're driven by our feelings. And what Paul says is, no, 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 your feelings are temporary. Your, your emotions are temporary. So don't get caught up in your emotions. Don't get caught up in your feelings. And this is what happens when we are single and we, we, we meet some young man or some young woman and they look the right way and they dress the right way and they check all the boxes, at least we think they do. And we go, ah, right? We have this moment where the light shines down and oh, dream weaver, I believe she can get me through the night, right? It's that moment across, oh. That's temporary. And Paul says, don't get focused on the temporary, focus on the eternal. Focus on what will last. And he asks the question, I think this is a question we should ask ourselves. Are we using the things of the world for temporary or eternal purposes? I'll give you an example. I, I, we have enough single people who attend here. I have lots of conversations with single people. And I love the single people in our church and I will talk to some of them, and I hear their heart that they want a boyfriend, they want a girlfriend, they want somebody that they can share their lives with. But what happens is, there is, there is a, a lack in me that says I am not good enough, or pretty enough, or valuable enough, or attractive, or smart, or whatever it is, and then some guy will come along and go, yes, you are. And what happens is it fulfills a desire in me, it, it, it meets a need in the moment, but this is not the right person for me. And as a result, I end up getting hurt. Why? Because I'm looking at a temporary situation and not an eternal situation. What we're really talking about and what really is, is the underlying message that we're looking at today is this, this idea that, that God's kingdom is greater than my kingdom. And this is what Paul's trying to tell them. He, he's saying the stuff that you are living for, the feelings, the emotions, the, the relationships, all these things, they're fine, but they're not eternal. They are temporary. So are you living for 
temporary things or eternal things? Are you building your kingdom or are you building God's kingdom? And I'll be honest, most people are building their kingdoms because we wanna be comfortable and we wanna be happy. We wanna be fulfilled. We want all the stuff. We want the feelings. And God says, I don't care about that stuff. God wants us to build his kingdom, wants us to live for something that's eternal, not something that's temporary. He goes on to say in verse 32, I want you to be free from concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. So what does Paul say? He says, if you're married, again, it's complicated because now you've got divided loyalties to some degree. We can say we love Jesus, but, but I've got this person in my house that I'm trying to live with, right? I'm trying to make happy. I'm trying to, trying to come to agreements on, and that is not easy to do. And Paul says, if you don't have the attachment and the covenant of marriage, then you have the opportunity to serve God in ways that you couldn't otherwise serve God. A few weeks ago, we brought a lady up here on stage and we prayed for her and we commissioned her to go to Africa. And, um, and I love Trish. She's a, a wonderful woman. And she's a single mom. Her kids are out of the house now. They're, they're raised. And she's been talking to us over the last couple of years about this idea that she feels like she might be called to missions. And so because she didn't have a husband that she had to worry about, well, does he feel called and will he go with me and maybe I can't go, she was able to go, you know what? I think I wanna go on a, on a long-term, short-term mission trip. I'm gonna dip my toe in the water and see. And she was able to go. She's, right now she's serving in Africa with one of our ministry partners for, for three months. And she's able to do that because she didn't have the attachment at home. She's able to go, okay, God, whatever you wanna do, I'm going. Why? Because she doesn't have the physical attachment. Her life is simplified in a way that allows her to go. Because singleness is not a problem to be solved. And in the kingdom of God, what we see is being single is actually a tactical advantage for the kingdom. It allows you to be used in ways that otherwise you might not be able to be used. It allows you to be open to do whatever God calls you to do whenever he calls you to do it but we don't look at, at singleness that way at all. Paul, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse seven. So earlier in this chapter, he says, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So he says, I wish all of you were single just like me. Now, Paul was dogmatic and he had very strong opinions. And if something was working for him, he, he thought it would work for everybody, okay? So when he says, I wish you were all single just like me, what he was saying is, I get to give my whole life to the gospel. And I wish you would be able to do that too. And then he says, each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. And what we have done in the church is we have made the gift of singleness of, of similar value as the gifts of the spirit. So we say, hey, maybe, maybe they've got the gift of singleness. And I don't know about you, um, have you ever been to a white elephant gift exchange before? Anybody know what that is? It's where you bring bad gifts and you exchange them. 
And so like, they're all wrapped and they're pretty and they're like, okay, Mel, you pick your gift and you're like, all right. And you get the gift bag and it's got the pretty paper and you pull the paper out and you're like, what is it? I can't imagine. You reach in and I pull out a mason jar. I'm like, what is this? And somebody goes, it's my bath water. <laughs> oh, wow. <sighs> I don't know what to say. Thank you so much. <laughs> what is floating in that? <laughs> I'm delighted to have this. And the whole rest of the time, people are picking gifts and you're like, but have you seen Jim's bathwater? It would be awesome. (laughs) Oh, you're not getting this all the time, right? You're trying to sell your horrible gift to somebody else. And that's why we look at the gift of singleness. Because we think it's a gift and we're stuck with it. So there's a, there's a, a broad way and a narrow way to look at this. Um, the narrow way to look at it is, I believe it is a gift. It's a specific gift that I think some people do have. Just like the gifts of the Spirit. In Corinthians, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, that, that there are specific gifts that we have and that, that sometimes there are people that are just, they're, they're, they're given to a specific gift of the Spirit. That maybe they've got a gift of prophecy in their life. And they are more prone to flow in the gift of prophecy. There's some people, maybe they've got the the gift of interpretation of tongues. They've got the gift of faith or they've got the gift of healing, whatever it might be. And they flow in a specific gift. So we look at the gift of singleness and we go, I don't want the gift of singleness because we feel like it's a specific gift. And it can be, but I think it's fairly rare for somebody just to have the gift of singleness and they're gonna be single their whole life. It can happen for sure. And maybe... You're sitting here in this room, you're watching online, you're watching from Blairsville, and that's you. That's okay. But I think there's a broader way to apply this as well. And the way we apply it is this. If you are not married, you have the gift of singleness. And the gift of singleness is not a bad thing. I want you to hear this. Because God does not give bad gifts. He gives good gifts. And if God is giving out gifts, you better believe you might not like it, but it is good. Because we can trust God. The problem is we don't always see his gifts as good gifts. Sometimes we think it's bathwater, right? Um, a few years ago for Christmas, my wife, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not very picky, when it comes to Christmas stuff, I'm hard to shop for because I don't really care. I'm like, whatever, I'm fine. And, but a few years ago, I was like, man, I'd really like a pair of noise-canceling headphones. So when I travel, if I'm on an airplane and you get somebody getting on the plane and they get on with their quadruplets and they're all screaming, put on my headphones. Ah, oh, This is what I'm imagining. So my wife for Christmas gets me these, this is Christmas 2018. She gets me noise-canceling headphones. The ones I asked for is perfect. I tear them open, I'm like, yes! And so I spend the next two hours after we are done with Christmas and we've cleaned up, I spend the next two hours trying to pair these stupid headphones (laughs) and I cannot figure it out. I'm like, beep, beep, and I hear it go, connected. And I'm like, okay, good, lost connection. I'm like, what in the world? Like, what just happened, right? Can't figure it out. Literally two hours trying to figure this out. I'm not, I am not the most intelligent person in the world, but I'm not a dumbard. Like I can follow directions, right? And I'm reading these, I'm like, I cannot figure this out. And I finally like, forget it. 
So I take these noise-canceling headphones and I put them on my nightstand because sometime I'll come back to them. I'll figure it out. They sat on this nightstand for, for a year and they haunted me. Because <laughs> it's a pretty expensive gift sitting on my nightstand, unused. There's no value there. All they were were expensive earmuffs. That's all they were at that point. Couldn't use them. Had no value. It was a waste. Good news is I finally figured it out. I spent enough time, did some Googling, looked at a YouTube video like old people do. I figured it out. But up to that point, they were very expensive paperweights is all they were. I was frustrated with them. It it made me a little angry when I would see them because I was like, what a waste. And this is the way we approach the gift of singleness so many times. Jonathan Pakluda in his book, Outdated, says this. He said, people waste gifts because they either don't realize their value or don't know how to use them. And when it comes to the gift of singleness, I think many people take singleness kind of like I did with my headphones, and they go, I don't know how to use it. I don't like it. It's not valuable. What am I supposed to do with this? And we don't understand that God wants us to leverage our singleness for, for eternal purposes if we will let him. But many times we can't because we're busy looking at what we lose when we're single. Well, I don't have this and this and this, and there's no value, and I want, and really what we want is the temporary, not the eternal. So we miss out. God gives only good gifts. Now let me deviate from this just a little bit. There are things that my daughters have wanted from time to time that I refuse to buy them because it's junk. You don't need that. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. You think you want that, but if you get that, it's gonna be bad for you. You're not gonna like it. it. It's going to end up sitting. So I'm not gonna get this for you. And then they will, they will, scrape together enough money and they'll go, but I want to buy it with my own money. All right, (laughs) if you want to buy that, you can. So we've got a number of gifts like that in our house and they will be in our garage sale coming up in a few weeks. So if you're in the market for a slightly used pogo stick, we got you. We've got a number of unique items like that that will be for sale at our garage sale. Why? Because I finally went, okay, I'm not buying that for you, but if you have to have that, go ahead. I think this is what happens in our relationship with God many times. We go, God, I want that guy. God goes, no, no you don't. No, 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 God, give, give me that, that boy for my life. God, I want this girl, I give her my, God goes, no, 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 you do not want them. No, I do. This is gonna be a waste. I'm, I, I'm, not giving, I'm not giving you that relationship. But God, I want it. I think at some point God goes, okay. I'm, I'm not giving you that relationship, but if you do that, that's on you. So what happens? Well, we get into unhealthy, ungodly relationships. Why? Because we're focused on the temporary. Because we want a payoff of some kind. Maybe it's an emotional payoff because somebody thinks we're pretty or somebody thinks we're respectable or valuable. Or or maybe it's a a physical payoff where it's just somebody that we can have physical relations with. I want to be careful how I say this stuff because we have some younger ones in the room. 
But there's a payoff of some kind and the payoff is normally always temporary. And so God goes, okay, I'm not giving you this gift. This is not a gift from me, but if you want that, I'll let you. And it almost always ends in heartache. 1 Corinthians 7, 35 says this, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Did you see what he says? He says, hey, I'm not telling you this stuff to make your life miserable. He says, I, I wanna put you in position to serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. He said, here's my purpose for this. But did you notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, I want you to be, do whatever will make you the happiest. I just want you to be happy. That's all I want for you. One of the biggest lies from the pits of hell that the church has ever believed is that God just wants me to be happy. That is false. God is not interested in your temporary happiness. He is interested in your eternal joy. So what happens is we, we go, oh, well, well, this guy must be God's will for my life because God wants me to be happy. Oh, this girl must be God's will for my life because God wants me to be happy. Wrong. He does not want you to be happy. That's not his goal and his focus for you. His goal and his focus for you is to be fulfilled in him. And this is one of the fundamental problems with how we approach dating in the United States. Um, so I have a hard time shopping with my wife and, and Emma. Abby, who's moved off, she was a little more like me. So when I am shopping for something, what I will do is I will, I will make a list. What do I need to get? Well, I need, I need this and I need this and I need this. And what kind? Well, I need this kind is probably the best and this. And I will make a list. And then I will go to the store and I will go directly to the department that has said item. And I will find the item in the color I need, make sure, yes, let's buy it and we leave. Okay. Now, my wife and Emma, what they do is somewhat different. They shop for fun. So they will go to the store, and they'll have a general idea of kind of what they want. But then along the way, they're going to find some other stuff. And, and this is not made up. I've actually had this conversation with Emma before where I've been very patient while she's trying on clothes and doing that stuff. And she's like, oh, that's cute. I'm going to try that on. Said, Are you going to buy it? Said, no, I just want to try it on. <laughs> what? What are you? I, my male mind can't even fathom. I'm just going to put on some clothes I don't own for fun. Like What? Like, I start twitching when I hear that. I'm like, wow, this didn't even make sense. But she enjoys the process. It's fun. And in that process, she will inevitably buy some clothes that she never wears. Like, oh, look at this. That's nice. Eight months later, it's still got the tag on it in her closet, right? Why? She's shopping for fun. I'm shopping with a list. I got a purpose, right? And we can make light of this. 
But this illustrates the difference in how people date in our culture. Because some people are dating for fun. And they're going, I'm just dating for fun. It's good. And I don't really, I'm not really sure what I want. I kind of know what I want, but I'm not really sure. So I'm going to try this on. I'm going to try this on. Are you going to buy it? No, but I'm going to try it on. So what happens? Well, you date and you break up. You know how I know that? Because that is the inevitable end to dating. Unless, by chance, you get married to that person. But if you're dating for fun, it makes it hard to find the person you're supposed to marry because you're trying everything on. You don't really have a list. You don't really have a plan. You're just doing it for fun. My proposal is that we date with marriage in mind. Does that mean you're gonna marry every person you date? No. But what I'm saying is what you should do is only date people who have the potential to be a spouse for you someday. Because this is what's happened. Um, As we date people, for fun, and then when they're not fun any longer, we go, hey, you're fun, I'm gonna date you, and then when somebody else is more fun, we date them, and we break up with this one. And then when somebody else is more fun, or a little more attractive, or shows us a little more affection, or whatever it might be, we move on, and we move on, and we move on, and we move on, why? Because the purpose is to have fun. But do you know what really happens? The end result of this, it stinks. Did you know that? Has anybody ever been dumped before? I have. Four people in our church have been dumped? You bunch of liars. I got all kinds of jokes I could throw out. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I love Jesus, so I can't say some of the stuff I'm thinking. I've never been dumped by a girl that afterwards I was like, man, how can I replicate this experience over and over and over and over again? Huh. What happens? Heartbreak. Pain. You're upset. Sorrow. All this stuff. And here's what happens. We date and break up, and date, and break up, and date, and break up, and date, and break up. And what happens is um, dating for fun is practice for divorce. Because what happens is we develop this, these habits where we say, I'm gonna be with you until I can find somebody else, until you're not fun, until somebody else can make me happier. We've developed these habits and these patterns in our dating life, and they don't go away when we get married. These routines are drilled into us. And part of the problem is we think God wants us to be happy. We think that it's about our kingdom and not God's kingdom. But Paul doesn't say, I want you to be happy. He says, I want you to to do the thing that helps you serve the Lord the best. We need to date with a purpose. And that doesn't mean, ladies, that the first time you go on a date with a guy, you go, well, I'm really trying to figure out if you're gonna be my husband. 
If you do that, that might mean you have the gift of singleness. But what you should do is have a filter, have a list. That doesn't sound very romantic, but you should have a list. What am I looking for? And then you don't deviate from that. Do you know what should be at the top of the list? Affection for Jesus. An unwavering affection for Jesus. Whether you are male or female, if if the person you are dating does not have an unwavering affection for Jesus, you need to end the relationship right now. Period. Proverbs 31, uh, it's a passage that, it's in the book of wisdom, and it was written by Solomon, Um, but it's a passage, and feel free to read it later on today, Um, but it is is a, a chapter that's used as a blunt object against women many times unintentionally. Because it talks about what an ideal woman looks like. So what happens is many times you'll come to church on, a, on Mother's Day weekend and you will, you will unwittingly be assailed by a pastor who's just using this, just wielding it around, whipping it around. And he doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean to hurt people. But what happens is he's talking about what an ideal wife and woman looks like. And then all the wives leave and they're like, I can never do that. And they are just crushed because of Proverbs 31. That is not the way it was intended. Uh, so Proverbs 31 is actually, uh, for, for lack of a better term, it's an acrostic. And it's written with the Hebrew alphabet. Um, each letter corresponds with a verse. So it was used as a memorization tool, device, for mothers to teach their sons so they could say, hey, when you're looking for a spouse someday, when you're looking for a wife, here's some standards to look for. Here's your list when you go to the store, if I can say it that way. We're not shopping for fun. We're shopping with a purpose. And at the very top of that list has to be affection for Jesus Christ because everything else will fade away. No matter how hot the girl or the guy is, they won't stay that way unless their name is Kim Massingale. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Scripture makes it clear, beauty fades, doesn't it? That goes away. No matter how attractive they are, if it's just physical attraction, you're in trouble because that is temporary. Do you know what's not temporary? Affection for Jesus. And I mean this sincerely. I'm not just saying this because she's sitting here. My wife She is more beautiful to me today than she was when we married 22 years ago. And it's not because of her physical appearance, it's because of her affection for Jesus. I love her more deeply than I did then. I love her more eternally than I did then. Why? Because I see her differently than I did then. I'm telling you, all the stuff that we put emphasis on, that stuff fades away. Affection for Jesus does not fade away. Verse 36, but if a man thinks he's treating his fiance improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, 
Let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there's no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiance does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. This is important. I want you to hear this because uh, he's talking about the man and his fiance. And he's saying to the men, Men, if you can't honor the, the holiness and the purity of your fiance sexually, then you better get married right now. Because don't you dare violate that and then have the audacity to, to walk down the, the aisle and to do the vows. This is what Paul's saying. He says, so if you can't control your, your, your fleshly desires, your passions and your lusts, get married right now. And I talk to people all the time that I, I love, and if you're one of these people, I love you. And, and they'll come up to me after church or before church, and they'll go, Pastor Mel. Yeah. And I go, we're engaged. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, oh. I'm like, yeah. Right? Like, we're so excited. <laughs> when are we getting married? What are you doing? Like, when is the date? And they go, oh, we're so excited. It's October of 2037. <laughs> the world? What? Like, well, we got a plan. I'm like, what are you planning? The Macy's Day Parade? What is going on, right? Like, well, the venue we wanted wasn't available till then. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Because I've been through this enough to know that by, no matter how pure you are and no matter how focused on Jesus you are as you're dating, when you get engaged, the pressure ramps up. The, the, the temptation ramps up. And if you have a long engagement, the more likely you are, as Paul was talking about, to, to dishonor your fiance and by giving in to your passions. And so I'll tell people, like, hey man, if that's what you wanna do, do the reception then, you can have a ceremony then, let's get you married now. It will be better. And for the record, if you're sitting here, I've done a few weddings like that. So if you're like, hey, we need to get married. We will have a good conversation. And then I'm willing to do that if we need to, okay? What does Paul say? The person who marries his fiance does well. And the person who doesn't marry does even better. Jonathan Pecluda, in his book, Outdated, he said this, and Kim mentioned this last weekend. Marriages teach you about the sacrifice of Jesus and singleness teaches you about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus and that he's enough. See, in marriage, and we talked about this last week, in marriage, we learn to love each other sacrificially. We learn that, that if we're gonna make this thing work, um, I have to love you sacrificially, put my needs below your needs. That's how it has to work. So we understand in the marriage, the sacrifice of Christ, what he's done, how he loves the church. And it's a picture for marriage and marriage helps us understand the church better. But what we see in singleness is that we don't have anybody who can come alongside us in marriage covenant. So what we're forced to do is see Christ, if we are looking at the eternal and not just the temporary, see the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ because I don't have anybody else who's gonna come along and give me what I need. 
So I have to find my affirmation from Jesus. I have to realize that I'm not gonna get what I need from the people around me. It's gonna be Jesus alone who gives me what I need. And in that, it's a beautiful picture of us discovering how beautiful and how awesome and how powerful and how good and how kind Jesus can be. And I would say, I'm not sure we can really see that in the same way in the context of marriage. This idea reminds me of Psalm chapter 73. In Psalm chapter 73, verses 25 and 26, it says this. The psalmist says, whom, am I, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He's mine forever. What is the psalmist saying here? Saying, God, I don't have anyone to help me but you. Who, who have I but you? You are all I have. He says, I desire you more than anything on earth. What is he saying? I recognize the eternal compared to the temporary, and I value the eternal more than the temporary. I desire you more than anything on earth. There's nothing on this earth that I value more than you. And he says, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains. So what's he saying? The things that we value, like our health, like our strength, all the, the temporary things around us that we value, all that stuff will fail. But he says, you know what will not fail? God. He says, I recognize that, God. I recognize who you are. So God, you are the strength of my heart. You are all I want. You are all I desire. And this is where we have to get. We have to understand that singleness is a gift from God. It helps us uh, be leveraged for God's kingdom more effectively. But it helps us see God more uniquely. That's what God wants for us. Instead of rushing from boyfriend to boyfriend and girlfriend to girlfriend, God wants us to find all we need is found in him. Verse 39, I'm wrapping up Corinthians. He says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If, he, if her husband dies, she is free to marry whoever she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it'd be better for her to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Do you notice what it said? A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. She's free to marry anyone she wishes. Did you see this? But only if he loves the Lord. You know what Paul's saying? Top of your list, ladies. Doesn't matter anything else. Provider, um, good-looking husband, big house. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, do they love the Lord? Fellas, the number one thing that matters is, does she love the Lord? Um, I had a, a, a pastor years ago. His name was Larry Hatfield. And Brother Hatfield's gone on to be with the Lord a few years ago. Man, I love this guy. Uh, good old-fashioned country preacher. And uh, Brother Hatfield, he came to the town where I was going to college, and he came was preaching a revival service at a local church. And he and I got breakfast one day, and I, I was telling him about this, this young lady who had caught my eye named Kim Franklin. And... Um, <laughs> He asked me, he said, uh, does she worship God? What do you mean? Because he knew she was in school with me and 
And he said, in, in chapel, does she worship? When she doesn't know you're watching, does she worship? I said, yeah. Okay, that's good. What was he asking? Does she have an affection for Jesus? Is she chasing after Jesus, not just to get my heart, but to get God's heart? When the answer was yes, that's all he needed to hear. He didn't need to know her five-year plan or what she wanted to do with her life. He knew that's, that's all I need to know. Uh, so that's my introduction for this message. Let me get into the message now. Uh, <laughs> you think I'm joking. I'm not, but I am. So there's some lies we believe about singleness, and I want to run through these real quickly with you. The first lie is this. Singleness is a problem. As we've said already, it's not a problem. It's actually a gift. Number two, happiness is only found in marriage. It's not true. In fact, there's some married people I could introduce you to that would say happiness is not found in marriage. <laughs> Whether you are married or you're single, it doesn't make any difference. Happiness can be found being fulfilled by what God is calling us to do and being faithful to what God has asked us to do, whether it's be married or be single. Number three, singleness means isolation. This is a lie. Singleness does not mean you're isolated or alone. In fact, God calls us to be in godly community, whether we are married or single. He wants us to be surrounded by people who will love us and help us take the next step in our faith. That leads us to our next lie. Singleness means no family. And I talk to people who will say, Pastor Mel, I want to be married because I want a wife and I want kids or I want a husband, I want kids. And the, the truth is, that might not be God's will for you. I've made the mistake in the past of sitting with single people and saying something like, you know what, God's got the perfect person out there for you and he's gonna send that person to you. And I don't know that for sure because he might not. God's desire for your life might be to be single. But, but remember, if that's God's plan, it's a good plan. Because I don't wanna lie to somebody and I've made that mistake before. But being single doesn't mean you have no family. It might mean you don't have kids. It might mean you don't have a husband or a wife, but it, but it doesn't mean you don't have family. What it means is it, it might be family of choice. It might be a community of believers that you're sharing your heart with deeply. But there's family found even if you're not able to have kids of your own. Singleness limits ministry. This was a lie I think has kind of been broken through the years, but there used to be this idea that like you couldn't hire a single pastor on staff because that might be an issue, it might get you into trouble, and that's just not the case. We've got a number of team members on our staff that are, uh, that are not married, and they're fantastic. Singleness is easy. A lot of married people, they look at singleness and they think, oh man, that's easy. We look at uh, you know, college students' schedules and not to pick on the IUP students. I love IUP students, but you think you're busy and you think it's hard right now? You're three days of classes. Right? It's easy for, for married people to look at single people and go, oh, your life is easy. But it's not. 
Single people deal with pressure, uh, social pressure. I've got to find the right person. I've got to date the right person. I've got to marry the right person. It's internal, it's external. It's, it's going to family gatherings and, and having your Aunt Helen ask you, well, why aren't you dating anybody? You're never gonna get married if you don't date somebody. And all you wanna do is punch Aunt Helen in the throat. <laughs> right? It's hard. It's not easy. It's challenging. Singleness is not easy. <laughs> that brings me to the last life. Singleness is difficult. Wait a second. You just said it was difficult. No. What I'm saying is it's not always easy and it's not always difficult. Just like marriage. Did you know that? Marriage, some days are easy to be married. Some days are hard. That's marriage. That's singleness. That's life because humans are involved. As a church, I want us to look at single people and value them for who they are, not who they might become someday. Well, someday they'll get married and then they'll be a valuable asset. Nope, 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 right now. God's got a purpose and a plan for single people. And if you're dating somebody, that maybe during the course of this message you recognize like, oh, I should not be dating this person. Break up with them. It's not gonna get easier a week from now or a month from now or six months from now. If you feel the Holy Spirit telling you you shouldn't be dating them, break up with them today. (laughs) I'm only saying this half jokingly. I will break up with them for you. I've done it before. Don't wait. The best thing you can do to be ready for a relationship, friendship, marriage, any of those things, is to let God work in you the way he wants to work in you. Galatians 5, we're gonna wrap up this series the way we started the series. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is what should be produced in our hearts and in our lives, and this is what should be being produced in our relationships. And if it's not being produced in our relationships, something's wrong. I want you to ask yourself these questions. What's being produced in my life? Is the fruit of the Spirit being produced in my life? Or is it the works of the flesh? Am I dating for fun? Or am I dating with a purpose? Am I using the things of the world for myself or for God? God's got something for you that is so much bigger than you can imagine but the cares of this life will get in the way. Dating the wrong person can mess up your entire life. So I wanna challenge you, don't date for fun, date with a purpose. It will be way more fun when you date with a purpose because heartbreak is no fun. Date with a purpose, have good godly boundaries, save yourself from heartbreak. And if you're here today and, and you recognize maybe you've got the gift of singleness, I know there's gonna be hard days that you struggle, but I want you to know what an incredible gift that is, that you can give your life fully and wholly to God. It all comes back to our relationship with Jesus, putting him first, saying, God, your kingdom is bigger than my kingdom. That's what we wanna do today.
Hey, I want to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to close out the rest of this message. They're going to give you an opportunity to respond. But I love you guys more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord, that um, when life is complicated, we can come back to you. When life seems difficult, when life seems challenging, we can simplify it by just coming back to this idea of whose kingdom am I building? Am I building your kingdom? Am I doing things for an eternal purpose? Or am I using the things of this world for, for temporary purposes, for my own gain? So God, forgive us of the times that we get focused on what's going on around us, my own feelings, my own emotions, what I want. God, help me focus on what you want. God, I pray for those that are single in this place. God, you would give them a heart to not date just for fun. God, help them to avoid the heartbreak that comes with that. Lord, I pray that you would help them date with a purpose, that they would filter the people they're dating through that lens of, do they have an affection for Jesus? And is this somebody I could marry? But God, before we do any of that, let our hearts be right before you. Let our hearts be fully submitted to you. Right now, God, I pray that you would be the, the, the preeminent desire of my heart. And God, I pray that that would be our prayer corporately as well. God, I pray for those that don't know you, that aren't in a relationship with you. Let today be the day they discover the goodness of knowing you, that they are drawn by your kindness, they are drawn by your beauty, and they, they enter into a relationship that will truly fulfill everything, every need that they have in their heart, every desire they have, that it could be fulfilled in you. So God, help us to find that, help us to see that. Help us to make that decision today. Now, with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. I'm not really in relationship with Jesus, but today I wanna surrender my life to him. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. So if you'd say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. I wanna be in relationship with him. That's you. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me today. Yeah, let's see you up in the balcony. Thank you. Who else would say, Mel, pray for me? Yeah, thanks on my right. I see you. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Okay. Book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want to pray this prayer with you, but I want you to say this out loud with me. I want you to mean it from your heart. Don't just repeat it mindlessly, but, but pray it from your heart today. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use it for your eternal glory. Have your way with my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture tells us you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. You can either fill out the card in the seat back in front of you and take it to our info center or simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000 
and let us know about your decision. We'd love to get connected with you and help you take the next step. I'm gonna pray a final prayer blessing over you. And while I'm doing that, our prayer team's gonna join me right up here in front of this room. And if you need prayer for any reason, as we're dismissed, make your way to the front of this room. Let our team pray with you before you go today. Let me pray for you. Lord, thanks so much for what you've done in this place. Thank you for people who've said yes to you, who've recommitted their lives to you or come to you for maybe for the first time. I pray from this point forward, Lord, they would experience your goodness like never before, that they would walk with you in healthy relationship. And that God, as we leave this place, we would carry your glory with us, that people would see you in us and marvel at your goodness. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray an incredible blessing on this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you and have an awesome week.